0: Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. And today I'm introducing you to two different women who have taken the lemons life gave them and made lemonade. We're calling it our Inspirational Women Power Hour. First up is Kara Brookins. She has an amazing story as the woman who built a house strictly from watching YouTube videos after leaving an abusive partner. The second is Dr. Lauren Lacks, who was on the brink of death and weighed less than 80 pounds. With an eating disorder, has totally turned her life around and now she helps others. You'll get to meet them both right after this. I'm looking at some of the books right now that I've ordered from dogtalktv.com. It's a site where you can buy books about dogs and the proceeds help the local rescues, especially here in central Arkansas. The author of many of the books and the brainchild behind the website is Pat Becker-Wallace. She's a philanthropist and certified NADOY dog trainer. That's the National Association for Dog Obedience Trainers. She's devoted her life to helping find forever homes for the dogs, but also matching the right breed with the right owner, which is paramount in her dedication to animals. She's loved animals all of her life, but helping the dog rescue organizations is her life's goal now. Some of you might recognize her as the host of a national PBS series is called The World of Dogs Biography. She's now writing these books about dogs, partnering with authors to help educate your family, your friends, your grandchildren about the privilege of dog ownership. One of the books, in fact, on her website is written about the dogs at Heifer Ranch and benefits the ranch, which is west of Little Rock in central Arkansas. Go to dogtalktv.com. I ordered some of the books recently. I'm donating them to my granddaughter's school. I bet you have some creative ways you can help libraries as well. Go to dogtalktv.com now, order the books, and know you're helping the rescues. The Akel family sure makes it easy to do things to your home. Who's the Akel family, you ask? Well, you must be new to the Lisa Fisher Said podcast because listeners... (laughs) insiders know the Akel family is where Arkansas shops if there's any project for your home. And we used to say flooring because it's Akel's Carpet One, but now they need to say and a whole lot more. Because did you know that at Acles Carpet One, they do more than just floors. They can also be your first destination for complete kitchen and bath remodeling. They've got a full service kitchen and bath showroom and you can go see it today. You can see the flooring options. You can see the dowel tile. I love dowel tile. We just built a home and I love dowel tile. Another option that they have is they'll send out samples to your home. I know. I'm a customer. They sent out samples one time to my home, and I could choose from that. They make it so easy. What you need to do is go online and find them. They're not hiding. They're on all social media platforms or their website, AchillesCarpet1.com.
1: She won most talkative in
2: high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher.
0: Okay, I've never had someone who got famous by building their own house, but I have somebody right now, and she's in Arkansan. And Kara, tell your story. It is so inspiring. And that's why I asked you to be on today. Tell us your story.
2: Well, thank you. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a crazy journey. I'm on the right side of it now. And it started with me and four young children from 17 to 2 who were in a tough spot. We had left a really bad domestic violence situation. And I was financially starting over. I was emotionally starting over as a parent. I knew I'd made a lot of mistakes and we needed a place to live. YouTube was brand new. This was 2007. (laughs) So I had this idea after seeing my first how to videos that maybe the kids and I could buy a bunch of supplies and put a house together ourselves. (laughs) And we did.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, I mean, I hope you didn't have a Lisa Fisher in your, who's laughing going, what? (laughs) I hope you had people clearly had people that encouraged you and said, well, if there's a will, there's a way. And Kara, you've got the strong will and you can make a way. I mean, did anyone in the beginning, did the people at Home Depot look at you and go,
2: lady, they, you can hire someone to do this. Obviously, there was not a single person that looked at me and said, "Oh, this is a fantastic idea. That's exactly what you should do." Oh obviously. Gosh. Um, but you know, to me, I think I was not coming from a normal situation. I was I was kind of, you know, the rock bottom scenario. Yeah. And to yeah. me at the time, it looked like the most obvious thing. It looked and felt like Absolutely anyone who was in the situation I was in who had gone through the things I had gone through would see that this is clearly the best answer. So I see now that it was a little bit crazy. But at the time, it seemed perfectly logical. And everybody from my parents and my dad lived in Wisconsin. My mom lived in northern Arkansas. Everybody at Home Depot, the city code (laughs) inspector, the (laughs) banks, all the banks I had to go into before someone would give me a construction loan. Oh my gosh, Everybody thought I was nuts, except my kids. I mean, your kids kind of assume their mom is sane and has great ideas and is capable of doing the things she's telling you you're about to do. So the kids were all in.
0: Do you have an engineering architecture brain? You would have to. You would have to see things in three dimension and understand layouts and buildings and all the materials, all that stuff, right? Uh,
2: No, no, you do not have to actually in order to jump off on a crazy thing like this. No, I was a software developer. So for 20 years, I developed computer software systems as a senior analyst and I was a fiction writer. So, and I was about 110 pounds. So you really cannot get more, you know, behind the keyboard, you know, pasty white in the house than that. But, but I had done a lot of projects. And by that, I mean, like we made our own jewelry. Um, I would make a picture frame. I had used basic tools. You know, I'd used a drill. I used like a small jigsaw. I made a bookcase one time from scratch by myself. So I had some idea, you know, I thought I can cut a piece of wood. I can pound in a nail. If I do that a whole bunch of times, I'll end up with a house. (laughs) Oh, that's the simplicity of how I broke it down. And that's how we continued to break it down. You know, when we would look up a video how to set foundation blocks, we made a block and fill foundation 1500 concrete blocks that we set in December and January, which is chilly in Arkansas. And we did that all using water we hauled from the neighbor's pond, because I was afraid to do the plumbing. I was the plumber. All the plumbing lines, <laughs> gas lines, I ran myself. So because I was afraid initially to run the plumbing lines to hook them into the city main, all the water for the start of this build came from the pond, which was half frozen. Um, and the way that we started that, you know, day one, it was okay. The only thing we have to figure out today is how to set one block. Just one. Okay. Anybody can figure out one, right? Okay. Like you could figure that out. You've yeah. got all day long. You'll figure it out. And then after that, we just had to set one block, 1,499 more times. That's how we built a house. Just figure out how What's- to do it once and then do it over and over and over again. Yeah, and that, I, I like your
0: humility in the way you sim- simplistically break this down because we all know there's a lot more to it than that. That's why there are professionals who do this. But you, again, had enough resolve. You had enough, you'd had enough of your former life that you said, I'm never, I'm never going to be at somebody's beck and call and a victim that puts me in a circumstance that I can't get out. And you showed your kids something that all of us want to teach our kids. And that is to fight for yourself, your freedom, your autonomy, and Mm -hmm. I mean, financial freedom, You know, the other things you taught your kids in this. Have you written a
2: book on this? I have, yes. I I was a fiction writer prior to this. But after I built the house, everybody wanted me to write the memoir. So I did. Um, That came out in 2017. it it came out all over the world. It's in a lot of different languages. It's called Rise, How a House Built a Family. Um, And that has been optioned for film, TV, reality, (sighs) TV, um, multiple times, different options. So it's been you know, kind of a roller coaster of how we've started and stopped and written scripts. I worked with Nicole Kidman, um, on a film option for a while. Um, so we've done a lot with that. And at the same time, we've done nothing with that. You know, a lot has happened. I've, I've learned a lot about Hollywood. Um, but right now we have an option for a TV show. So we'll see if that goes into a TV series.
0: Yeah. Just all of it is very inspiring. Okay. So 2014 was a different landscape than with social media and YouTube than it is today. I mean, now we've Mm -hmm. got TikTok videos that would probably teach you in 30 second snippets, right? How to do it. What's the first video that you remember, you recall that you found that you thought you looked at your teenagers and then you had littles too. And you looked and you thought, guys, we can do this.
2: Yeah. You know, the, the first video wasn't a house building video. The first couple of videos, like the very first video I watched was how to make a lemon bundt cake. That was the first how-to video I ever watched. And that's probably I mean, the most it, important one in my life, but go ahead. It, well, I mean, it is for a lot of reasons, not just because I'm a, a lemon fanatic and and I love Bundt Cake. So, I mean, for that reason, it was fantastic. But more importantly, here's how that impacted me. Um, as a software developer, I was really familiar with using the internet to learn things and just figuring yeah. things out. I had that figure-it-out mentality. But what that video did is... I had no intention of baking a cake or baking anything, but I watched a video Hmm. and it enticed me to get up and bake a cake. It pushed me into action. So from that, I thought, well, if a small video like that can have some kind of magic powers to pull me up, to get me to do something at a time when I felt really stuck and unable to get up and do much of anything, then I bet I could use more of them to do something bigger. No, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know yet that I was going to build a house, but I typed in to YouTube and this was 2007. YouTube started in 2005. So if you think 2007, we didn't have smartphones. I carried a BlackBerry that didn't have a camera on it. Right. There was no such thing as a YouTuber and everyone was afraid to show their face on social media. So it was like, grainy video of hands doing things you know and sometimes (laughs) it was the dark ages it was terrible quality and you couldn't watch it on your phone so we built this whole house without youtube on our phone it was youtube back at the house we lived in writing on post-it notes carrying them out here the world has changed um but i had typed in like cheap houses i mean that's what (laughs) i was looking for i was looking for a cheap house i was not expecting to build one And, you know, of course, I saw some houses on real estate sites and the kids and I could try to fix them up. But it is really hard to motivate yourself for a small goal. It's hard to motivate yourself to get Hmm. up and fix up a lousy house to be a little bit better. Try to talk your kids into doing that, let alone yourself. So I needed something that would be inspiring and motivating enough that would get us all out there. Again, I didn't know what that was going to be. But of course, YouTube delivers. All these social media algorithms are fantastic. And they started your next, you know, recommended videos would be how to frame a wall, how to frame a window, how to set a foundation block. And I mean, again, it was hands doing things. So it was someone showing very simply, and they cut out all the mistakes. They cut out all the hard parts. It was hands successfully setting a block. And I figured I could do that. I mean, I was so wrong in thinking, you know, how hard can it be? It can't be that complicated. It was brutally hard. Um, It was exceptionally complex. Every single thing we did, um, we stepped out here not having any idea how to do it, doing it wrong multiple times, cutting it apart, doing it over, laughing at ourselves. You did have do-overs. doing it again. Okay. Uh, I mean, I say we did everything 100% right after we did it all the other ways. Right. Um,
0: you yeah. had a 17 year old at the time that that's a pivotal age. It, 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 that is that a boy? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. A girl, 17 um, year old. That's girl. a girl.
0: A, that was a girl. Yes. Okay. That's a, well, it's a pivotal age for both sexes at that point. Right. You know, they're kind of sullen and sulky. And if their life has changed, y- you ripped out the rug out from under them in that you had a, a paradigm shift. You know, they're thinking teenage years or getting the whatever car the kids are driving, you know, everything right. about cars and doing all these things. And you're like, no, no, no. Uh, mama's going to need you. <laughs> I'm going to need you to hammer some nails. How did she take it? I know it. I, I know where she is now because I, I don't know, but I'm saying I know it taught her more than any classroom, any book could teach her. But how did she take it? And then what did she turn her life into? That was almost 10 years ago.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 15. We've lived in the house almost 15 years. Oh, is, oh, that's right. Because you, you to got, think about. you got famous
0: like in 20. Yeah. in in I
2: 2017 guess. is when the book came out and the story okay. went global in 2017. Okay. That's So right. the but timeline 20, is, is different. Right. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. So the oldest was Hope, my daughter. Um, She was 17 and very much a girly girl, not a, not a construction yeah. fanatic in any sense. <laughs> And um, she was actually like the lone holdout in that she was the only one who was resistant initially to the idea and that she was like, maybe, maybe we should maybe we should not build a house. Um, but here's how I sold it. And the other kids were, okay, the kids were 17, 15, 11, and 2. So toddler on the construction site the whole time. The only man wow. on the construction site was my 15-year-old son. And wow. um, the way I sold it, And I didn't, you know, I wasn't intentionally, you know, frauding them or anything. I gave them the option and we voted on this. And the option was we could take the money that I could qualify to borrow from the bank and we could buy one of these fixer-upper houses. And over the next couple of years before they went off to college, we could fix that up. Now, the big difference was that house, if I was buying in the same school district, we could not afford for them each to have their own rooms. Two right. girls, two boys, um, okay. or or we could take all of that money and we could just buy the big pile of supplies. We could build it ourselves, and they could each have their own rooms. We could design the house ourselves because we designed it. We drew the blueprints ourselves wow. at the dining room table. Saved a couple thousand dollars by DIYing it. Um, Absolutely, and the kids voted. Um, They voted and they all, with some hesitation from hope, they all voted to build our own house. Um, And we all felt like we could do it. We sat down, we watched videos, we researched, we wanted to build a super energy efficient house. And of course, initially it was, you know, we were going to have trap doors and secret passageways and a zip line, you know, not all of that. Right, right. And Harry Potter. um, and Right. Uh But exactly. Well, we did build the little cupboard (laughs) under the stairs. We did get that. Um, oh, good. Got the Harry good. Potter covered. Yeah. But, you know, that's how it started. And there was some hesitation at first. But once we got out here, and you have to remember, these kids were not normal kids, right? They'd been through a lot. Yeah. Um, they had been through some really devastating, traumatic situations in which they had no control of their own lives. They had straight A's. They cleaned their rooms. Their lives wow. from the outside looked just perfect. They were exceptional wow. children but they overcompensated in all those areas of their life they could control because of how much of their life was out of their control. So this idea to build a house was the first time in their lives that anyone had given them control in this full way. Here is something you can physically get up and do that will make every aspect of your life Hmm. better. That's why they showed up every day. That's (sighs) why they came out here. And the therapy, I mean, hit things really hard with a hammer. Like, there is some therapy in that. Absolutely. And and the physical aspect of the physicality of building something that you can stand in, building something that much bigger than yourself. I mean, there's there's nothing that could pump a person up as much as that. So, yeah, the transformation in the kids was incredible. The confidence. And um, the, the, the way that they were able to yeah. go from being these defensive kids who were, you know, just yeah. in survival mode into these fiercely independent, um, self-deprecating, you know, confident Good. kids. Good. And now, well, you know, now they are 33, 32, 17, and 26. And I've got three grandkids, 10, 2, and 1. Um, they're up wow. in Canada. One of my daughters married a Canadian. Um, and the kids wow. are, you know, very strong, independent. My my oldest son has lived all over the country and went to college up in Fairbanks, Alaska, D.C. My wow. daughter runs her own business, and she and I work together on some workshops, and we work together in our businesses. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're just incredible. Roman, the the youngest, who was two when we built the house, is a junior in high school, and I mean, they're incredible.
0: Oh. So that house really means a lot to him because he's living out. It's all he remembers. That's all he knows is that house.
2: Right, right. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to think how that played out because he's two when we built it. So when we started to have a lot of media and we're doing talk shows all over the world and have film crews coming through our house, um, Roman doesn't remember it. So he feels a little bit excluded from that, right? You know, all the kids have a story except him. Except him like he was, you know, catching frogs and lizards and stomping through mud puddles and, um, you know, potty training on a construction site. You know, th- that's his story. Right. So um, it was it was really hard for him to kind of find his place in the story for a long time. And it actually hasn't been until more recently when we look back and like Roman's part of the story is the media part of the story. Like, oh, that was his yeah. thing to get through. That was, I mean, in a lot of ways, like that's traumatic. Um, you go yeah. through bullying to have your home open. You've had your home open before for people to come through. Yeah. And when it's people with cameras who are going, you don't know how they're going to tell the story, right? right. And they're going to tell it in multiple languages. You don't even speak the language they're trying to interview you in. And you don't fully understand the show they're about to put it on and how that you'll never know exactly how they talk about you. Um, and, you know, with Roman, the youngest going through middle school and, you know, then junior high when this type of thing is happening, um, you know, kids are mean. Adults are mean, too. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, but kids in particular mm-hmm. um, are mean a little bit more in your face. And so, you know, you can't, you'd think it would be cool to have like Google at your house or I have to leave early to talk to Ellen's producers. It's not cool. It's not cool when you're in middle school. So Roman's real journey of, you know, I think his sort of coming of age journey weirdly happened in the media portion of the story, not the physical construction part of the story.
0: I can see that. Now yeah. no care for me that I have a hard time turning off the shutoff valve if the toilet goes to overflow. Are you telling me that you actually did the plumbing on this home or
2: plumbing, so yes. Did... Water lines, sewer lines, gas lines? I went in the gas lines and I had to pull all the permits from the city. I had to pass all of my inspections with the city inspector. And let me give you an example of how ridiculous this is so after i had done like the the rough plumbing the stuff that goes under the concrete slab in the soil you know in the ground where you're burying stuff and somehow that feels a little bit more forgiving i don't know it really isn't but it feels that way you know it's all outside <laughs> but once i i pulled the permit and i'm going to do the interior plumbing like the water lines all through the house I've never even seen water lines inside the walls of a house. I don't even know what they're supposed to look right. like. I don't know the <laughs> right. names of anything, nothing. So I'm you know, i watching on YouTube and I kind of determine this kind of plastic pipe called PEX pipe, which is a little bit flexible, is a great option for us. And it comes in okay. like these big Duly bowls. noted. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, it seems like all the plumbers are using it. It's a new thing okay. at that time. And so I go to the plumbing store and I, I I don't even know what to buy. I have walked through the house with a piece of paper and a pencil and just been like, okay, the water all comes in in this one place. And then I trace up through the walls with my finger. Okay, it has to turn left here. So I need something to make a pipe turn left. It would look something right? like, and I draw a picture of it. And then I need something to tee to two different directions. And I draw a picture oh, of what I think that might look like. Oh, and then every time in my head I come to one of those places, I just put a hash mark. So I need like five of these, seven of these. Okay. You know, I've got this many faucets. And I just like put all this on a piece of spiral notebook paper. And I walk into a plumbing store and I'm like, okay, you know, I'm building a house. These are the things I need. And I'm showing the guy at the plumbing store this. And he's like, he just keeps saying, "Ma'am, like, please, you know, send your plumber in, send your plumber in." And I have a two-year-old on my hip who is stringing Fruit Loops onto a piece of my hair, and I look him dead in the eye and say, "I am my plumber." The plumber. (laughs) Um, And this poor guy has to help me, like, and he's like, "Well, we." We can't tell you exactly what to buy. It's like a plumbing warehouse and nothing's returnable. So I need to get it as right as possible, right? And so they won't advise me because, you know, then I'll blame them if they get it wrong. So he is trying to help me out, but like trying to help me out in a way that he's speaking in code. So he's not technically advising me. It was flat out ridiculous. And then we came out here and we, you know, I figured we need to take everything through the house, the, p- the pipes through the house, pass everything that needs water, go up to the attic where I was putting in a tankless hot water heater. So and then you go physically back down, did all everything. this? Oh, yes. Oh, we physically gosh. put all of the lines in, connected all oh, the faucets why. and toilets and all the things after we'd done the sheetrock and everything. Is it a yeah. two-story home? It's a full two-story house, 3,500 square feet, um, that's, five bedrooms, three bath, three-car garage, wow. shop. Yeah. It's a, it's a house. I'm sitting in so the you library st- now. I, okay, this is okay, my library beautiful yeah, the beautiful house. I, still live, library. In, I so, still
0: live in the house. So you finished those bookcases, you stained them, you put the we varnish, you designed these them.
2: bookcases. Now the bookcases here, we didn't put these in until about a year after we had moved in. And I hired someone to build these because my mom had passed away. And I just decided, but initially I had planned to build them myself and I could have built these, by the time we built a whole house I guess. Oh, but we did girl we did stain I, and finish all of them and yeah yeah and you're i continue the elon, to build things like
0: no you're, yeah yeah you're the elon just Musk grown of out of arkansas fingernail
2: yeah i mean it's just right. we i can see i still love to build and make things i sew i'm doing a needlepoint piece right now um <laughs> i'll make a desk i just made a big wall hanging out of four doors i bought from home depot um there's always a project happening at my house because once do you feel you realize, like the house, once you pass a mindset of literally anything I can conceive of, I can eventually yep. figure out then anything great. that you want in life, you realize, Hey, I can, you know, do trial and error. I can figure out how to do this. It changes the way you do everything.
0: Do you feel the house now is too big for you because your nest is smaller and you just have one at home?
2: Yeah. You know, I thought that. And I think I especially thought that before COVID. Um, and when we first built the house, I thought I'd live in it until the oldest kids went to college. And I didn't yeah. expect I would be building my entire business around a house. Yeah. Um, but then during yeah. COVID, the kids could come home when they needed to. And some of them did. and um, And I just thought it's a nice home base. For them to have and for me to have. Good. And I don't think I'll always live here. I don't think that at all. Um, you know, this project was not actually about the house. It wasn't about the physical house. Right. And everything that we needed and got from this project, we take with us everywhere that we go. So um, yeah, sometimes it feels big. My oldest daughter lives here. She can run her business from anywhere, and I travel. I'm now a full time motivational speaker, so I travel. I just just got back from Florida, and and before that, I guess before that it was also Florida, and before that Vegas and California. I travel quite a lot, and I kick off big conferences for you know businesses, associations, corporations. Um, and I do like a motivational keynote where I tell stories of us building the house and I tell them based on the theme of the conference, you know, so whether it's teamwork, leadership, resilience, I tell stories that will fit with their conference theme and, um, kind of give them a little motivational push as they start off. And sometimes I'll close a conference instead or, and do an additional workshop. But that weirdly has become my full-time job. And I didn't see that coming.
0: Uh, it's really a fascinating story. How long did it take you to build the house?
2: Well, I had a nine month construction loan. I borrowed all the money to build the house. And for some crazy reason, they saw me as a high risk. I mean, go figure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So as a high risk, they only gave me nine months. I worked full time. I was developing software eight hours a day in an office in Little Rock the whole time where I was building the house. The kids went to school Um, And I went into the office super early so I could grab the kids from school, you know, at 3, 3 3.30, go home, change into construction clothes and hit the construction site. And literally working by the headlights of the car, you know, in the early months before we had electricity out here and working till two in the morning um, over and over and over again. We were here every day, all day through some of the night. Like, I don't know. There were not a lot of neighbors where I built the house. Now there are, but there weren't when we built it. There were a few. And I don't know how they went through that without like calling the police. I mean, we're out here at 2 a.m. firing up power to us. Like,
0: unbelievable.
2: Who puts up with that? But they did. I'm, Thank goodness. I'm they were so kind. And um, yeah, I mean, 2 a.m., I'm firing my, up an arc welder in my garage or, you know, a nail gun with a compressor. Can you <laughs> imagine? I would strangle somebody.
0: I know. Right. But,
2: I know. um, we and it oh, never, I, it. I think that we were in such of an emotional bubble and we felt so alone that it felt more like we were here by ourselves than we actually were when you think of how noise travels. But
0: you were so inspiring, Kara. I mean, what a story. I'm stubborn. Uh, it, it's something that's what I am stubborn. Uh, no, I, I was honestly thinking the whole time, I bet she was hard to raise. Because you truly, people who have resolve are hard to raise as children and young adults, but they make an amazing adult. Yeah. So my most very
2: stubborn as a child too.
0: Don't you see that with your kids now? The one that gave you Yes, yes, the one that I've been over backwards for in my house is an engineer now. What does an engineer have to be? Stubborn. He has to be stubborn because he has to die on that hill for what he's presenting. So it all works out in the end, but I was it, thinking the whole time. I mean, time. You know,
2: every trait has positive and negative. Absolutely. I mean, whatever like, it is, think of what your best trait is. That is also right. your worst trait. Guarantee I say it all Think the of time. a person that I you say. love. Whatever trait you love the most in them is also the trait that's going to drive you nuts. Every trait Girl. has a flip side. Right. And I think you know when you look at stubborn, that is how I built a house without a doubt. But it's also how I got in a position that was so low, I needed to build a house, right? Because I stayed in a bad situation because I was stubborn and determined, I can fix it. I can make it better. I And I'm also an optimist, which is a dreadful thing to be. And for whatever reason, it'll never be beat out of me. But I'm an incredible optimist. And I always think I wake up every day thinking today is going to be amazing. Today, everything is going to go right. And in a way that kind of whitewashes over the bad things that have happened. Mm -hmm. And when you're stubborn and determined that I can push through this, I can make it better. I can work hard enough. I can put in longer hours. I will do what it takes to make this better. Um, yeah, it does take you to great places, but it also will keep you in some bad ones. So, know yourself. Well, know yourself. Part
0: of your physical beauty, but part of your beauty is also your humility.
2: Well, I mean, I I have lived through some really tough things. I have made some just atrocious mistakes, and I can laugh at the tough things that I've gone through that I put myself through. Um, because I, I mean, in the end, the end of the day, you can't take yourself very seriously. And that was a really important lesson first that I learned here, I think on the construction site where, you know, you're covered in mud doing something you never imagined yourself doing. And, you know, very quickly, the kids and I just learned to laugh at ourselves and not take it seriously. And then of course, write a book about yourself. Whew. You want something to take you down a notch or two. Like write down <laughs> on a piece of paper the worst mistakes you've ever made, it. how they hurt other it. people, and yeah. then toss that out for anybody to take and um, and read and know and do what they will with, and have no idea how that's going to come out. You know, when when I finished writing the memoir, and you know, I thought like five people and my dad will read this, and. I was wrong because my dad never read it. But, um, (laughs) you know, a lot more than five people did. And, you know, I sent it to um, my agent in New York. And again, I was a fiction writer. So this was my first memoir nonfiction piece. Since then I've written others. But I, you know, she took it out and we had a great response. In fact, it was like a big auction. Like all the publishers wanted it. And we had like wow. this 24 hour massively like clamoring auction where I'm, I'm talking to all of these people. And at some point my agent said, look, let's just have one moment where you rethink this. She said, this book has a lot of really tough stuff in it about you and your family. This is your last moment to pull it back. You sign <gasps> one of these contracts." And you can never pull it back again. And I am in the middle of a massive auction. I've got hours to pick a publisher and move forward. And I was, and she's like, are you sure? And I was like, well, I was until you asked me until you put it like that. Oh my. And, um, you know, I took a beat and I took a couple of deep breaths and I thought immediately like, what's the flip side? What's the alternative? Well, the alternative is silence and what domestic violence victim, what person who's been through a tough time has chosen that path, has had to choose that path. And, you know, I thought some mom needs to be that mom who tells some of that tough stuff and then also tells like, and here's the crazy thing I did to try to come through it better. Here's the thing I tried to do to fix it for me and my kids. And if some mom is going to be that mom, then some kids are going to have to be those kids. And I signed up for that not just for me, for my kids, not knowing, you know, what the the roller coaster ride that we were about to be on was going to be like. And um and I went all in and we already talked about I'm pretty stubborn. Once I'm in, I'm Love all it. in. Um Love so it. that's how we did it. But yeah, it was it was a really really profound and tough thing to do. I mean, and then it happens over and over, you know, it happens with every interview and you don't know what people are going to focus on. Um, fortunately it has been just resoundingly positive, but you have to sign that again when you sign your life away on a film contract and you are literally signing your life over, um, for somebody else to mold, to manipulate, signing your children's lives over to be molded and manipulated, um, and to recreate their image in a way that it doesn't matter what the truth is, that is how they will be seen for the rest of their life. That's um, right. It's a tough thing. It's a lot of really, really tough decisions. And I don't believe a lot in regret. I mean, I will take a moment to say, well, that was a dumb idea, Kara. Um, but then I'm very much about okay, w- what do we do next? How, you know, let's look forward, not back, and, and charge ahead. So that's how we've done this. Lots of mistakes along the way through every single part of it, even getting up on a stage for the first time when I was not a public speaker, um, and just little by little, like figuring out how to do it, laughing off the mistakes and charging forward. It's a great story. I want Tina
0: Fey to play me when you do the. <laughs>
2: or Will Farrell because I love Will Farrell. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. Yes. Well. And what if great. I I mean, what if I'm like cocktail party game come to real life, I, right? I, like I know, who would play right? you in a story of your life? Like I, know. I got to actually meet so many cool people um, and know. talk to people and consider and we talked to Sandra Bullock and you know, it was yes. just a really really yes. fun thing. And who knows? Like I don't know what will happen next. I don't even know what I want to happen. Um, right. You know, there's a big part of me that just wants to stay the heck away from Hollywood, except maybe with some of my fiction stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's a tough space. And I, I have a new book that just came out in April that is uh, oh. Unstuck. And that is okay. my ninth book. And it's all how to get unstuck. <laughs> and oh my um, gosh! so that has been a really fun journey where I tell stories from around the world and have a, you know, kind of proprietary strategy of how to get from stuck to reaching your goal. And it's all based, no surprise, on the format of how-to videos. Right. So that's been my right. my latest project this year. Okay.
0: All of your information is in the show notes. People, You, I mean, hire her for your next corporate event, your next wedding bar mitzvah. I mean, she can do it. <laughs> hire her I mean she'll probably put the roof on your next house but um, we'll, we'll list um, we'll put your website which will have all of uh, the you. fiction and nonfiction and all the things you've done you are a Renaissance woman We'll be back right after this with Dr. Lauren Lax. there are so many delicious options for dining when you go to Jess's chicken in Little Rock now this is run by the Bubba's family that I talk about because I love uh, what they do in the community charitably for adoption and foster care programs, but also what they do in feeding my belly. The Justice Chicken location, just one right now, it's at Rodney Parham and Interstate 430 in West Little Rock, Arkansas, and that's where you get the chicken salad uh, that is so delicious. Two options, a sweet or savory, because my husband and I are different on every occasion, even with the chicken salad we buy. He likes the savory, I like the sweet. There's a chicken wrap there. They're loaded bowls. You can get grilled cheese, but come on, you're at a great chicken restaurant. You need to go there, uh, get that. And they also have um, the gluten-free options. So for people like me, I can have the chicken salad with no bread, of course. There are also dairy-free options. Just ask them about that when you go through. Some people, though, get the toast and gravy, the white bean chicken chili, and the salad. So I'm telling you, it's not just traditional chicken foods. It's also other things. The sides are great. The mac and cheese really good the ice cream is really good they've got the real cane sugar scapegoat soda the only place in central arkansas that offers that and you know that they're closed on sunday so they can worship with their family you can find them online to find out more or go see them. just as chicken.com hey there while i have your attention i just want to go ahead and direct you to my website and my social media for other outlets with lisa fisher my website is said.com. My Instagram is at Lisa Said. Same thing with Twitter. That's because if someone asks you, why did you do something? You'll say, because Lisa Fisher said. Because I've been doing the research. That's why I love all the things. I'm a certified health coach and I've got programs for you to help you with weight loss and help you balance your hormones. You can reach out to me. It's all there on my website or on my social media. Go there now, said.com. Now it's part two of our Inspirational Power Hour, these two awesome women. This is Dr. Lauren Lacks, originally from Little Rock, but now in Austin, Texas. All right. This is a guest, people, who, you know, I always talk about some connection I have. But with Lauren, she actually babysat my kids when she was in high school and has the, uh, the love of my journalistic life in the fact that she was a journalism uh, graduate from U- University of Texas, Right. Correct. Yeah. And and then you kind of overachieved and got your PhD, which is not what most journalists do. (laughs) So we'll talk about that in just a minute. But your story, because I've known you so long, is so inspiring, Lauren. And I just want you to tell people what you ended up becoming a, a social media sensation in that CBS, it seems like CBS this morning did a story on right. you and other national outlets. And it was your battle with your eating disorder. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. And thanks so much for having me on. Um, so I oftentimes say I am a former TV news journalist, gone health detective and functional medicine expert yes! by, <laughs> by way of my own uh, 25 plus year battle with over 12 incurable illnesses and in quotes um, that diets... <sighs> Dogmas, doctors, doctor Google searches could not solve. And so, and my story really dates back to age 10, fourth grade recess. I was 10 years old with a pink scrunchie in my frizzy hair that my mom made me wear. And all I (laughs) wanted to do was fit in. And that day at recess, the popular girls invited me to join their gossip circle. Where they're like laughing at Melanie Strawn's ugly sweater and gawking over Eric <laughs> Arthur's cute freckly face, <laughs> floppy ears. And then all of a sudden the topic of weight comes up and the queen bee says, oh my In gosh, fourth you grade. guys. In fourth, fourth grade. Fourth grade. Fourth grade recess. Um, so yeah, the queen bee says, oh my gosh, you guys, I weighed myself last night and I'm 69 pounds. So fat. And then turning to each of us and just saying, what do you weigh? And one by one, we had to go around the gossip circle and report to the drill sergeant. And at the time, at a healthy 80 pounds, I was by no means a fat kid. But when the circle got to me, I gulped and I looked down at my shoes and lied and said, I don't know. And I'll never forget going home that day to stand in the pantry turning over my favorite Dorito snack pack that I ate every day after school and learning a brand new language, which was fat grams and calories. And at age 10, my life path took a sharp turn. And little did I realize I would spend the next 20 plus years, 25 years. I'm 35 now. So it's been a little bit in recovery. But those years on that roller coaster of those diets, dogmas, Dr. Google searches, all in the quest for feeling good in my own skin. And Really, my younger years were so hijacked by living inside and out of hospitals and treatment centers. I spent four years accumulated like straight behind bars in these hospitals and treatment centers all over the country where the typical treatment at the time was very symptoms-based. So Pop-Tarts, pizza, and Prozac, that's what you give a girl that is wrestling and trying with her body and overcoming an eating disorder, just kind of like we do give out a pill for an ill in our green or our allopathic model a lot of times for lifestyle induced illnesses or the just like move more eat less philosophy of diet culture as well very symptoms based treatments and so at a young age i began to develop just this like really this there's something not right here like this just know this hunger for more knowledge and awareness of how to actually feel good in my own skin Um, and so, and knowing just like these two extremes living in treatment and then out of treatment, it was very much like trying every single diet under the sun. Like I was a trendsetter before the diet was what it is. Um, so like carnivore is very popular now, had an all protein diet early, then switched a vegan diet. Then I went to keto and low fat, no fat, like everything. And so fast forward, uh, this was my life in and out. And my parents' family were so supportive. They just like fought for my life. I'm I would not be here today without them. They uh, invested and reinvested all of my like college funds and my wedding funds and um, remortgaged their house, just anything to keep me alive. Because these treatment centers were hundreds of thousands of dollars, and nothing was working. And so by age. 22, 23, I was like a full fledged adult. I had moved home um, to Arkansas from Texas my senior year of college because I was not doing well. And that's when I started working actually in the newsroom at KRK for news and Literac, yes, yes, and yes. Um, doing some like reporting, producing. Um, and but I wanted out. I wanted out of Arkansas. I wanted out of my parents' roof. So, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You go to grad school and I could go uh, on my own and away dime because I could take out loans and my parents couldn't hold me back from doing that. So, they let me go, went away to Nashville and I was studying, getting my doctorate in occupational therapy. I had no idea what I was going to do with that, but knew I just like it was a change and thought, you know, if I move somewhere, maybe life will be different. Little did I realize our. We can run away, but if we haven't really healed or cleansed what the real root causes are, they're going to follow us. And so, um, fasting forward to age 23, the day before my second year of grad school is supposed to start, I step on the scale like I did every single morning, only to see a number I had not seen since I was that 10-year-old girl. Uh, Actually, 79 pounds, so one pound less. And uh, for the first time in my life, it scared me. There was not my parents standing over my shoulder no doctors telling me what to do. It was just me and my body feeling like it was breaking down. It explained all the chest pains I'd been having, the severe gut pains I would have anytime I ate anything. Like I was eating probably 500 calories at this time, but just uh, anything in my body. Just And then the stress fractures on my feet. So I'll never forget praying on my way to the gym that morning, getting in the car and just saying, God, help me make a change today and praying that out loud and thinking, help me eat a tablespoon of almond butter more or help me work out 30 minutes less on my Stairmaster. The littlest things that I thought would make the biggest of differences. And when I got to the gym that morning at the YMCA around 5am, not one, but nine other strangers walk up and there are nine fellow gym goers that stepped in and spoke up. And said they wanted to help and said, you know, Mm -hmm. good morning, Lauren you've been on our hearts. (laughs) And they did not know me from Adam. They knew nothing about my backstory. They just saw this girl every day slaving away for eight hours a day in the gym on her Stairmaster. Eight hours? uh, Eight hours. (laughs) It was a full-time job. It was definitely distracting me from school. And um, yeah. So, and then they said, we want to take you to the hospital. We've called Vanderbilt Hospital. Well, they said we could bring you in. And when I heard that word hospital, I knew what that meant. And Just remember gripping onto my keys so tightly, but then something inside me melted and just said, you know, maybe I wonder if this is an answer to my prayer today, like praying for a breakthrough. Um, Fast forward, within 48 hours, I'm in the CCU with a heart rate in the near 20s and doctors saying I may not make it. And I know, again, without a doubt that I would not be here today had they not stepped in. And, and they, they called my parents, too, about the night before. They just all came together. God put it on their hearts to step in. And my parents just were like, thank you. And they, they drove down that day. And um, I ended up spending a month in the hospital on heart rate monitors and feeding tubes and IV fluids. And at the end of the four weeks, the doctor said, you know, you can stay here another six to eight weeks while we refeed you this way, or you can go to treatment. One of two options. No other option. And I chose treatment. I wanted the feeding tubes out of my nose and thought, you know, I'll stay for just six weeks. That's like my commitment and um, do what I have to do. And on the six week mark, I was in Miami to that date is I started getting chest pains and I had not had chest pains since that day of being in the hospital. And I just really see it as like God nudging me like, Lauren, you're not done yet. I don't, This is something that's not going to just be an overnight fix. And Really needed to ring it out, and treatment in and of itself was really no different than my former experiences as far as the pop tart, pizza, Prozac model. But in that in that journey, in that early season, something inside me began to shift and said, "You know what? No matter what, life is going to be different on the other side, and no matter what, how many double bagel days I have to go through, or how many egg McMuffin challenges or ego waffle days I have to go through in this treatment center, like." I made up the decision that I was going to pick up my mat and walk and be well. And so I get out of treatment about a year later and life just – I began to like walk again. It's kind of like crawling. I went from crawling or to walking and learning how to live and life again. And God just teed it up every step of the way of like I stumbled into an amazing CrossFit community of all places and church down there. And really CrossFit was a gateway for me learning how to have a new relationship with exercise because it was not about mirrors or like what I look like. It was about finding internal strength, learning how to be in community, how to eat real food and nourish my body to to move. And then that was a gateway to learning about functional medicine. It just like had a nice blend. There was a lot of people at that time And in life was like 2012, 13, that CrossFit was overlapping a lot with some of the functional medicine influencers at the time. Um, So I was introduced to a new way of thinking about getting to the root causes. And so that on the back end began to just like shape my own journey of healing from all the years that the locust took in my eating disorder on my body and Little did I realize like, you know, I made up a decision to get over my eating disorder. So that was like fading away and gone that I was about to enter another 10 year, a decade journey of all sorts of chronic illnesses, the 12 plus incurable illnesses that had been from really a wrecked gut microbiome, I would later find out in both my dieting days um, just all sorts of diets under the sun again, and then my also the eating disorder treatment days, like the standard American diet to heal me. So both ways, and so ended up getting five autoimmune diseases, Lyme disease, mold illness, hypothyroidism, osteoporosis, and like the list kind of just kept going on and. Um, Mass cell activation syndrome. Going to a doctor every six to eight weeks and being diagnosed with something, and doctors just couldn't figure it out. And so it really forced me to dig my heels in. And I say it's the best underground medical school training I ever got. And so today, when I work with patients from all walks of life and all sorts of setbacks, I'm really able to not only understand the body mechanistically, but also to relate. Uh, I'm being worked up for cancers, being (laughs) told I had diabetes, and Uh, Heart conditions, like just really like, which would be some of the big three that we see just from a chronic illness perspective that continues to worsen, and just really so thankful now on the back end of that journey that I am now 100% in remission from all of those things, and it was really what developed my love for the gut microbiome, and then the gut brain connection was a big piece of the puzzle that really helped me uh, turn a corner in all of those illnesses and really is what has inspired me in my in my work today, as well as the new company that I'm launching in the fall called the Total Gut Reset, all about really biohacking your health and optimizing your health through the gut, the gateway to health. So what was the first thing you did then
0: in 2012? Not, not the CrossFit, but the medical side, because though there, we're not talking the difference in allopathic and homeopathic at this point, we're talking about mm-hmm. you had control, you had agency over your body. You may, you then right. had to make the choice of what you're going to do to right your ship. What was the first thing you do? I mean, p- people are asking, did she take a probiotic or, you know, yeah. did, did you start eating yogurt? You know, what was it?
1: Right. I mean, I think early on is just definitely my diet shift and my diet mentality shift was just like saying, what is real food? Understanding real food from an ancestral nutrition perspective was super helpful, like yeah. Weston A. Price kind of perspective. Yeah. Um. And so really just like uh, distinguishing all of the dogmas around, like even in diet health culture that like, whether it's carbs being bad or like meat is bad or fat is mm-hmm. bad, like just really a holistic perspective with food, um, maybe more like an ancestral paleo type of model. Diet yep. is the number one way to modify the gut microbiome, which is why I kind of ended up in the place <laughs> I was in the first place from both ends of the spectrum. And so that was a great piece of the puzzle. And then again, back to the mindset, it's just like I didn't, I don't think I realized how much weight that actually had until I later learned about the gut-brain connection. But it's really, we are the stories we tell ourselves. So when I began to vibe at a new frequency and being healed, like I would ask myself a question of like, what would healthy Lauren do? Kind of like if you remember those WWJD bracelets, people would look down and be like, oh, this makes me think differently. So when I would ask myself that in any like scenario, like how would she respond if a friend asked her to go out to eat. And like in my eating disorder, I would isolate. So what would healthy Lauren do? She would go out to eat and be able to be engaged in life. Or what would healthy Lauren do when it came to um, exercising for her body? Like she, instead of being a chronic cardio bunny and just doing orange theory workout after workout or like spin class, et cetera, like really just beginning to redefine a relationship with daily choices based on a new identity. Well, let's
0: talk about the daily choices Dr. Lauren has every day Um because eating disorders come from the same mm, umbrella that addiction does, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's an obsessive compulsive mindset. So Definitely. people who recover from addiction, they say each every day, you know, they look at each day as that's why their recovery, they'll like, you know, it, one day at a time. So in your one right. day at a time, what what is a, a typical day for you now? Do you get up and think, does old Lauren sometimes show up and go, you got to get out there and exercise? Or does new Lauren say, I really need sunlight in my eyes because that is setting me up for a good sleep tonight?
1: Yeah, great question. Old Lauren does not exist. It's just like a book great. now to me. Awesome. Uh, so awesome. <laughs> I just believe... Um, th- n- I don't believe people have to manage whatever it is, like whether it's an eating disorder or like an illness that you've been given. Like I do believe and have experienced that remission is possible. And so like that's where the identity work came in so early. And so today it's really just like, I wake up so energized and jazzed for the day. Like (laughs) most days I just bounce out of bed. And I think a lot of my high vibes for life is what drives a lot of my energy in my life. I think low energy is probably the number one complaint or chief thing that a lot of my clients come to me wanting to fix regardless of like what it is they're wrestling with like whether it's thyroid condition autoimmune condition mold eating disorders right. like they would love more energy and so I have a very just like zest for life in the basics of most basic of things so I mean it's starting the day off habitually I usually wake up about 5 30 or 6 and then always start off with putting good things in my mind. so I don't good. look at like social media or Instagram or um, email or text until I've put eaten something good for my mind um, as well as hydration so with good. good filtered quality water, lemon, sea salt and then I move my body in some way and that can vary uh, on the day but just whatever is filling do I feel like doing a power yoga class today? do I feel like going to Barry's boot camp? Do I feel like going to CrossFit? Do I feel like just going to the gym and lifting, but something to just get a flow in? And that really sets the tone then for the rest of the day, Um, I guess from a habitual. And then just throughout the day, my day is really governed by like optimizing, putting on my oxygen mask in order to like be of service to the world in my best capacity. So health choices come very naturally to me today where I usually am going to take a midday break of some sort to like get into another flow, whether it's going on a walk with a friend or doing a yoga class if I didn't do it earlier. And with the sunlight and sun exposure throughout the day, just I'm very mindful of getting that in. In the the evenings, not using artificial lights, (laughs) using blue blockers actually on my screens throughout the day, Um, eating regular meals um, just to keep blood sugar balanced and keeping – I probably eat every five to six hours. Now my blood sugar is that stable but making sure protein is a center of the meal as well. And um, yeah, just like making sure I have a really good balance of work and play in my days as well.
0: I don't know if you disclose this, but do you tell what your diet is now? Do you have a certain diet? Are you saying it's more of a paleo ancestral? Yeah. Okay.
1: I just say, just eat real food. Like I really, right. um, yeah, I've even, there was a time where it was more autoimmune protocol because of all the autoimmune right. And I've been able to introduce every single food that I wanted to introduce back in. And just when I decided I was, I wanted to introduce it back in. And that's kind of where the mind and the body also can be. Yeah. I work a lot with folks that typically they're eating like five to 10 foods with chronic illnesses as well, not just eating disorders, but like where they've developed yeah. a fear around foods. Um, yeah. Have you reversed um, all 12 of those conditions? I have. I just got back my osteoporosis report. Like even just last September, I got a DEXA scan and I was at negative 3.8, like a Z score, T score, uh, which is like 70 year old bones. And my most recent one was negative 1.4, which is like kind of unheard of, of a reversal. So like osteopenia zone. And yeah, it's just really cool what the power of, well, holistic living can do.
0: That's right. And the power that you don't have to take Fosamax, that you need sunlight. Oh, yeah. And it, it this, this is yeah, why I tell God. people all the time, because um because of my age group, women, there are more prescriptions the older people get. So yes. I, I'm sitting with women a lot of times in their 50s and 60s and Lauren, their list of medicines is this long just because a doctor said no nobody's even yes. there there might not even be a diagnosis. Well you just need a statin because Your cholesterol is two hundred one. I know you might need Fosamax because you're blue-eyed and you're um, small-boned. You know there are things that set you up for osteoporosis. Exactly. When I always say that if God gave us so many things to feed and nourish us, sunlight is this magical thing that people have run from. And so I know by the clients I see that sunlight, removing sodas from their diets. Um, weightlifting, you know, lifting heavy weights are three things that I always tell people, but what, what do you think did it for you to reverse that osteopenia or osteoporosis?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it was, I mean, healing my gut because your gut is what's absorbing your nutrients. It's absorbing your minerals. And so if your gut is leaky or you have dysbiosis, which is gut bacteria imbalances, then you're just like kind of, even if you're eating good things, just not absorbing it. Um, regular weight lifting as well was a big piece of that puzzle. And then understanding so the like the gut brain connection conflict at play a lot of times with osteoporosis and why we may see it with like in women's health. It's like related to a self-devaluation conflict. It happens over time. So a lot of times symptoms are metaphors of how um, what is our brain or stress trying to tell us in our lives. So for example, if I have a lot of gut issues, there could be an indigestible conflict that preceded that. So something I could not digest, swallow, or eliminate in my life if I, got, if I was feeling constipated. Or same with eating disorders. An indigestible conflict is oftentimes related. Little girl tells me on the playground, I'm fat, 10 years old. Belief yeah. is downloaded. I'm not good enough. Wow. And so with osteoporosis the self-devaluation – Um, is just like us being the hardest on ourselves. So the more healing I've done with the gut-brain connection as well, it allows the inflammation that's being sent from the brain to the gut, which is influencing your bone health, um, to really also go into remission. Uh, I mean, give me a minute to
0: process that. But I've never – I've always heard about the gut-brain connection. But that really is telling ourselves – it's also – you have grabbed healing and you've embraced it. And mm-hmm. don't you think people who follow a strict allopathic model of what their doctor says, like these people, just these, in the last few weeks, for me, these two women in their sixties, but this long list of medicines who then I, I can't, I, I give no medical advice. They've eliminated the medicines going, well, I really didn't need, um, the acid reducer, you know, whatever that is, yeah. I, or I didn't need the so-and-so. And it's them believing then that they weren't a doc. They, and sometimes these people even say, I don't even know if I have a diagnosis. The doctor just told me to take this.
1: Exactly. So, we can really, that's the identity. Like we associate with that and and put that Sherpa bag on of this identity. Now of this diagnosis where we may not actually, I was talking to a client yesterday. She said, I, been diagnosed with mold because they found mold in her urine. Sometimes those mold tests, though, it's like reflected more of diet than mold. She's like, I haven't been in a mold house for like 20 years. I'm like, I don't know actually if you have mold illness. Like a lot of her symptoms don't sound like it, but she's being told. And that's not even just allopathic. um, That's also in functional medicine that can happen a lot of times with some of these tests. And so just like, yeah, not being – you're diagnosed your identity is not your diagnosis and so yes just understanding mechanistically if your body you support the foundations of health um your body when given the right tools innately wants to heal itself and be balanced
0: isn't that a great thing to hold on to that our bodies do want healing and we mm-hmm. really do seek them out it's just that modern life has gotten in the way um i love your philosophy of not Seeing, looking at any device in the morning. I'm not there yet because I'm I'm still a mama who thinks her kids, may, a kid may need me in the morning, but I get distracted yes. and then get to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter before I've fed, before I've gotten my glass of water. Cause I try to have water in the morning mm-hmm. with lemon myself or my electrolyte. So right. that that's a really good principle for people to adopt and telling myself, It's okay not to know everything that's going on in the world because that journalistic, my journalistic history was I was always in the know, my ears to the ground. Exactly. You know, I was the front page of the paper because I was ready and it's giving myself permission to go. I don't have to know because nothing changes even if I do know.
1: Exactly. I'll never forget walking away from that newsroom the last day, and just never looking at the news again. <laughs> really, since um, I maybe get my news in a more holistic way or like yeah. a underground no, sources, I, but yeah, I gave it
0: up March tenth, twenty twenty, and yeah. I've not turned it on. I've, yeah. I mean, my I turn on my TV to mm. watch Netflix or something, but I yeah. I don't know who's on. I don't know what's on. I choose where I get my news. I had to protect my mental health. How did you handle then the pandemic? And because you really monitor yourself, you really limit yourself. What were you doing from a healthcare standpoint of realizing that the world wasn't on fire? I knew it wasn't on fire, but I knew people were going to try to lie to me and tell me it was.
1: Yeah, I mean, Austin is a great place to be just for like like-minded folks that yeah. are just like wanting to vibe at a higher frequency too and like make the world a better place. Yeah. Like there's a lot of just movers and shakers entrepreneurially yes. here. And so, and it's just interesting. I think even when you turn off the news, there's somehow you will hear about things that are important in the world or that are happening. And I think I just have like always been a healthy skeptic really since again my own health journey. Of like, if there's a talking head on TV telling me that something's happening, like just to question conventional wisdom and that. And so, yeah. And I have such a really deep network of other practitioners too that we stayed connected. And we just saw a lot behind enemy lines or what was really happening behind the scenes because – We were all conversing, even like from a just censorship perspective, because we're trying to put out positive information for healing your body and getting flagged for things or like, and we're just like, is anyone else seeing this? Or like this post got taken down because of why? And so there was just like from the beginning, early on awareness and questioning.
0: Yeah. And that's also um, journalistic skepticism that you either have or you Mm. don't. Um yes. Other, other people who have that are like lawyers to have a skepticism about them. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. engineers will because of just the way their mind is. So I'm neither one of those, but my journalistic skepticism would always go, how come no one else is asking questions? Exactly. That's what surprised me. And and I guess that's one thing I'm sure you try to incorporate with your clients as well is just saying I, I'm not, you know, I can't give medical advice as a health coach, maybe you can, but it's saying I'm not giving you advice. I just want to make sure you're informed about the decisions yes. you make. Empowering you. <laughs> yes. Just to say, and then say, you don't have to take every shot that is offered to you. Just ask questions. I, yeah. I don't care if you do or not. I don't get a commission either the way. The government does get a commission if you do take it, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, right. Exactly. Tell me about your course that comes out in the fall.
1: Yeah, so it's really, if you can imagine, Weight Watchers meets gut healing. Weight Watchers was designed for the baby boomer generation. Uh, Total Gut Reset is designed for a generation that is seeking holistic health solutions and to take their health back into their own hands. And it's not just about weight loss. It's not just about digestion. It's really the gut being the gateway to health. And so if you have a condition or not a condition, just symptomology, I would love more energy. I would love to be able to put on some lean muscle mass. Um, I would love better brain health, um, et cetera. Like you are going to be able to find that through a total gut reset. And so it's really going to be a guide, guiding program for people to optimization in that regard. And then will there will be a book and supplements aligned and just continuation of products that I'm engineering. I okay. Will that be on your website? Health. It will be at totalgutreset.com and it'll be linked through drlauren.com as well, which is my current okay. website. Okay. Well, we will send people to that. Can we pre-order now? Um, It should be up in the next month. So depending, okay. I guess we're in May right now. So yeah, it'll be on Amazon we're- for pre-orders. Okay. Well, Total um we will post when this
0: posts um, it's a month or so before this will even air, maybe June or July. So by the time people are listening to this, it may be ready because I'm definitely going to sign up. Um, I've been working on my own health journey, just like so many of us. And it's neat to see that um, the mentality, like you said, the gut brain connection of healing, of visualizing my healing, seeing that I'm not my diagnosis. That's all great, positive information. Lauren, you are so inspiring. Yes. You have just, I was crying for the first, I'm not kidding. I get choked up saying it the first eight minutes of you talking. Cause I remember that little girl. I remember that little mm. girl. I remember you since you were 10 and mm-hmm. seeing what you've done now, 25 years later, listen to me. I can't even talk yeah, <laughs> aw- watching you grow. You. And I always knew you were such a high achiever and so bright, but there are a lot of Thank high you. achievers who are bright but it's the ones who make the difference or the ones who invest in other people. And, um, you're very generous with your time and wisdom for people and that's what will make the difference for their future. So thank you. Thank you for doing this podcast and
1: thank you. Love people, Lauren, and it shows. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. This is super special and yeah, just The work that you're doing in the world too is just really inspiring i just love where you've taken your yeah career as well as just how you're helping people too thank you thank you great job today
0: thanks for listening to the lisa fisher said podcast be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review won't you the lisa fisher said podcast is produced by clantoncreative.com